0: You've tuned into Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 84, The Witcher. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to 2020 and Sci-Fi Fidelity is back with a couple of shows in January that I think we're going to really be looking forward to that come from Netflix. But they're each not without their share of controversy out there among the audience and the critics. First one we're going to be doing is Witcher. And then next week we got Lost in Space. And I guess not everyone sees these shows the same way, Dave.
1: No, they really don't. So uh, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about Witcher, which dropped on Netflix December 20th, 2019 eight episodes, it's already received its season two renewal, which seems to be de rigueur for Netflix these days. And and that's fine. It gives the fans a chance to buy into season one, knowing there will be a season two. It's a fantasy drama created by Lauren Schmidt-Hissrich for Netflix and based on the book series of the same name by the Polish writer, and I'm probably going to massacre his name, Andrzej Sapkowski. Oh, that was good.
0: And and this is also should be distinguished from the video games, which certainly have a bit of a nod in this series, but it's really based on the books rather than the video game for the most part. Okay. And I assume you've probably read the books. I have not. No, oh, I, actually, okay. I might have to based on uh, what I saw here, or at least the short stories, because a lot of the um, episodes that we get in The Witcher are based on the short stories. So they're kind of self-contained stories in a way, but... This show has such a great underlying mythology. I can't wait to get into that.
1: Well, yeah. And you mentioned controversy, and I haven't done a lot of online reading, but what I have done, and I'm not sure this is what you're getting at, my first impression reading some reviews, we all often talk about lazy writing in terms of the show writers. I look at these reviews. As lazy writing on the part of the critics because Exactly, yes. Their big criticism is, well, it's not Game of Thrones and they're trying <laughs> to be Game of
0: No, they're not. No, they're not. This is a, a, a property that maybe is not quite as old as the George R. R. Martin material, but it's been around for a long time. And I do think that's unfair. And I, I think it's uh you know, it bears saying that the Den of Geek review wasn't so good. I kind of chalk that up to the fact that Matthew Bird is one of our video game writers. And maybe he went into it thinking it was going to be more like the video games rather than the books. And he might not be as much of a fantasy fan. So I I was kind of going into it with some skepticism. I even posted on the Facebook, "Uh uh-oh, you know, seeing some of these reviews. I couldn't disagree with these bad reviews more. I absolutely loved this and couldn't wait to watch each new episode.
1: Yeah, as did I. And if we're going to compare every show from this time period to Game of Thrones (laughs) to Game of Thrones, well, I don't know what to tell you. So we'll just (laughs) leave it there. The premise in a nutshell, we're we're following Geralt of Rivia, a.k.a. The Witcher. Is it fair to say he's a mercenary monster
0: hunter? Yes, indeed. A supernatural uh, creature himself in some ways. But yes, he's a monster hunter.
1: Okay, and we get caught up in this battle between Nilfgaard and Sintra. He's been told that there's a young girl who's his destiny, and this same girl's been told to seek him out because he'll protect her. And in terms of premise, that's basically all you need to know at this point. In a nutshell, yeah. Right. So, you know, we've got some plot threads. We see early on the attack on Sintra and Cirilla escapes, and she's certainly one of the three characters that we're going to be talking about. But as we get to the end of episode two, and as our plan usually is, we're going to just take a look at the first two episodes, and it really breaks down into three main characters that we're going to follow. Geralt's arc, Ciri's arc, and Yennefer's arc. And Jennifer really doesn't appear until the second episode. So despite that, she gets a lot of airtime and certainly for good reason. What a wonderful character. But we'll get to her in a second. So let's take a look at Geralt, who is told by Renfri that a girl in the woods is going to be his destiny. And of course, we hear the queen, who is Ciri's grandmother, that she needs to look for Geralt, he'll protect her, and we don't really know what happens to Ciri's parents. Do we? Or did I miss that?
0: I mean, there's stuff in a later episode, and we will do a little spoiler zone at the end for those of you who have seen the whole series. We're not going to get into every little detail of the, of the overall storyline, because there is quite a bit to deal with. And I, I think uh, one of the things I appreciate most about The Witcher is that the writers definitely do not insult our intelligence. They expect us to keep up, <laughs> for the most part.
1: Right. And, you know, I mentioned Renfrey, And when we first see Geralt, he's battling this human arachnid hybrid monster. It looks like it's got a humanoid head. and uh, But he's referred to by some of the townspeople as a mutant. So is he really a mutant? And we don't necessarily find that out in the first two episodes. That might be one of the things you're talking about that becomes a little bit more clear as the story goes well,
0: on. Perhaps that's more of a thing that I was just referring to where they expect you to just figure it out on your own, because there's a lot of backstory that can't be pulled into an, into a narrative for a TV show. So those of who have read the books or played the game know that the, these witchers are created uh, by magic. So this is something that we don't really need to know that level of detail. We just need to know that he's, a little bit different from your average human. He's got powers that regular humans don't have and that's good enough.
1: Okay. And you know, this Renfrey that I mentioned ends up saving him such as it is. I'm sure he could have defended himself <laughs> if he wanted to, but we learn later that she's actually a princess also played by Emma Appleton, who I know from a series called traitors and you know, she gets killed in this first episode and I I'm hoping that maybe the rest of the story is told out of sequence, so I'll get to see her again, but I'm not holding my breath on that. But we see this little flirtation going on between the two of them, and we learn pretty quickly on that she wants to hire him to take out this guy, Stregobor, because his man raped her. And as she says, I killed rather than be killed – and for her, it's all about revenge. And, you know, ordinarily he's hired to kill monsters, but,
0: you know, times are tough, uh, you know? Well, I think that the main lesson he gets in this initial episode, which I feel is early in his career, and the show does jump around quite a bit in time, he actually thinks there is no such thing as a lesser evil. He kind of pooh poos the idea of picking between two evils. He wants to basically just kill monsters And stay away from that messy human assassination stuff.
1: (laughs) Right. And I think one of the criticisms I did see out there about his character is that he was very wooden. And I would argue it's understated, not wooden. You know, he's not trying to be this vivacious character. He's very pragmatic. He's there to do a job, make a living and move on.
0: And he does a dead on impression of the. Voiceover in the video game. So there's that as well.
1: <laughs> right. And then, of course, as they're talking, uh, you know, anybody that's watched any amount of TV doesn't have to be genre. You didn't tell me, dude, there was going to be kissing in this show. So <laughs> well, it is Henry Cavill. I mean, I know. <laughs> Superman I know. here. Come on. <laughs> and she's pretty good looking as well. So um, we're never really sure does she have sex with him to basically convince him to do the job and take out stregabor or is it just a uh, electric connection a James Bond moment <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so so we don't really know and and I guess we're not going to find out because as I said she doesn't make it through and in fact that's a great scene because she attacks him and she's certainly adept with the sword as well she says they created me just as they created you And of course, with my sci-fi background and and yours as well, I I momentarily forget that I'm watching fantasy and I'm thinking like, okay, is there some scientist somewhere? No, that's not what she's talking about. (laughs) This is more of an
0: emotional creation that because of things that were done to her. Yeah. And and magic to a certain extent. But yeah, I like your emotional interpretation as well. That works.
1: Right. But she won't stop. And the next thing you know, he puts his blade into her throat and you know one of the things i do like about this show through the first two episodes is that there's not an overabundance of action that it really is more character driven which all good shows have to be if they're certainly going to get our attention and, and the
0: attention
1: of the intelligent
0: viewer and though when they do have an action sequence I think they can put their battle sequences up against any show. And I'm not going to say Game of Thrones in this context, but there is that comparison there as well. And I think The Witcher ends up on top, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. And of course, her dying words are that the girl in the woods will be with you always. She's your destiny. And, And I found it really interesting that the townspeople get immediately behind Stregobor. Witcher is forced to withdraw and in retrospect, it's not surprising. He's probably paid them off or he frightens them terribly. They're certainly not going to cross him. But the one minor character that I really did like, and I was a little surprised that we didn't see more of her, and I suspect we will see more of her, is that young girl, Marilka.
0: Oh, I wish. But no, yeah, she's only in this one. So she had a lot of personality and spunk to her, didn't she? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, local taverns are always great places to force the action, if you will. And Geralt is in one, just wants to have a nice mug of mead, be left alone. But of of course, that's not going to happen. He's recognized immediately. So I don't know if they recognize him as a witcher because of the eyes or if they've heard that he's in town. It doesn't matter. It gets dead quiet, and it turns out they want to hire him to stop the devil who's been stealing all their grain. Now, this is a job that he can take, right? It's not killing a human. At least he doesn't think it will be. (laughs) And this is where we get introduced to our comic relief for the early part of the series when he is introduced to this lute player, and we later learn his name is Yaskir and I guess he's a jack-of-all-trades in the entertainment business. He is a bard. And at one point, he tells Geralt, you know, you need to do something about your social media. Your image (laughs) is not very, you know, very compelling. And I can help you with that. I I can, you know, I can put tweets out there for you. (laughs) And again, it's not something I've seen. I know you're going to talk a little bit about it in the spoiler zone, the way their relationship develops. But the pairing right away, you just keep waiting for Geralt to just like, backhand him across the the head and you know leave me alone because we know even if he did that the guy would just get up and keep following him
0: right and this was a character that did get some criticism too from the critics and i think unfairly because yes he did use some anachronisms in his speech but you know he's kind of like our voice our perspective kind of like a meta character and he's quite an important character in the lore you can't just leave him out and I think this actor does a great job and of course the song that he comes up with uh give a coin to your witcher or something like that pretty catchy tune yeah and, and you know you <laughs>
1: mentioned the anachronisms yeah I'm sure the writers didn't do that intentionally it, it was probably a mistake I mean come on of course uh, that that's part of his charm right So anyway, you know, they get kind of bound together and literally and figuratively because they get captured by elves. And this is our introduction to what has happened to the elves. And we meet Phil and Vandrell, who is the elven king, and we learn that they were thrown from their homes and they basically need to steal if they're going to survive. So that's what's happening to the townspeople's grain Yes, it's being stolen by the Sylvan for the elves, but without that, uh, they would die. So uh, we learned that they were slaughtered by humans and what's referred to as the Great Cleansing. And of course, they can't come down from the mountains because uh, apparently the Great Cleansing would just continue. So in terms of moral decisions Geralt's got to make, this is certainly one of the
0: early ones. And of course, those of you who have seen the whole series know we don't get too much about the elves, but I do believe this is going to be a major thread moving forward because this is just an introduction to a little bit of history because obviously there's quite a bit of backstory that goes through the the books and to just know that magic came from the elves and the humans just wanted it all for their own power and got rid of the elves for that reason. So I think there's definitely going to be more to it than just this one minor character that's thrown in in the early episodes.
1: Yeah, and that leads us into Princess Ciri's story, who is on the run, looking for Geralt, and she's on the run in the aftermath of the battle between Nilfgaard and Sintra, in which Sintra and her castle is destroyed, overrun. But before that happens, you know, she's in the castle. And, of course, we see this restless, really obnoxious young girl that clearly is overprivileged. She finds her grandmother gravely wounded, and that's when things begin to change for her. The queen, her grandmother, tells her, you will rule this land someday. So just throws out that tidbit and... You know, in terms of the story arcs we've talked about, we certainly can see where this is headed and depending on how many seasons the show gets and, and how much time there is between seasons and how tall the actress gets to playing <laughs> Siri, you know, we'll see if she actually gets to be the age when she can become queen again. But certainly we know that's what this is all about and all hell's breaking loose and and she tells Ciri to find Geralt he is your destiny and of course at that point she's ushered to safety and another minor character that I suspect we're not going to see again is is the sorcerer Moussack who is clearly loyal to the king and the queen promises to, to deliver her safely and we get that scene where it appears as if the the queen is going to commit suicide rather than be captured and then of course we see it's not going to be by any poison she just throws herself from the window of the castle and
0: that's it for her <laughs>
1: that's it well, for her well now you say
0: Mousak actually is an integral character so unlike Maralka who you probably wanted to see more of We actually do get Moussack in a number of different permutations, but, but yeah, and, and this is important too, to note that it's really going to be a question of why is Ciri the one that's being sent away? Why is no one else being attempted to be saved? And you are surmising that it has something to do with her coming back and being queen someday, but it's really more about getting her to Geralt and perhaps training her in some fashion, maybe not as a witcher, and maybe some of the people who've read the books and played the game would know whether that's what it's about, but clearly she's got some kind of power, right? When she screams.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's a perfect segue into our, our first introduction to this power, whatever it is, because she's being taken on horseback away from the castle by this guy named Laszlo. And of course he is immediately hit by an arrow in the throat. She's knocked off the horse and, the rider, I guess from uh, Nilfgaard, grabs her, and that's when she lets out With I'm just going to describe it as this blood-curdling scream which causes stones to crumble, ground separates, and he, of course, freaks out, and she's able to run off. So what is this power that she has? And we certainly get the impression she didn't know she had it that this is the first time it has manifested itself
0: yes exactly and and you get the sense also that it's the first time even that her grandmother has seen it so there were no like childhood incidences that we can tell but it perhaps was not unexpected right
1: and you know we we get that great sequence when she's on her own and again her grandmother was this fierce warrior so we have to believe that her grandmother didn't treat her like a little and i'm making air quotes princess all of the time but still this is the first time she's been on her own she's got to survive she's in the woods and we know as does she that somebody's following her and watching her And we learn pretty quickly it's this young boy who we later learn is an elf named Dara, and he's there narratively to protect her at this point, to move her from this point of danger to safety, such as it is. It won't be safe for too long, but shuttles her to this. You know, first, I thought it was some sort of a military encampment because we do see a lot of soldier types. But then there're also a lot of family types. Yeah, it's a refugee camp. Okay. And in terms of refugee camps, the certainly the the family that she's sent to, they must be a wealthy family. They have a nice tent, the furnishings again such as they are are, are not too bad, and they take her in and you know offer her fresh clothing, I think fresh shoes even. And the mother is kind of understanding we take care of our own and you wonder because you you don't get the sense that the people have a great attitude about the royal family right and had they known her true identity would the mother have been so nice
0: probably not <laughs> yeah yeah so well, i think there's a certain amount of people who blame clanthe at least if not the whole you know court for doing all the things that we learn that they did as the series goes along. So this Nilfgaardian attack does have a context that we get later in the series. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: All right, so let's go ahead and get to, which for me is the most compelling arc of the story. And it's this young peasant girl named Yennefer. Her father is a pig farmer, and she's referred to as piglet more than I feel comfortable with throughout <laughs> the second episode. But it turns out she's going to be trained by Tissaia Devries, Vries, rectress of Aratusa, who is... Teacher to the magicians, I guess. Is
0: that? Well, it's like a women's school, right? Because I think it's mostly the female mages that go to Eretuza, not the men. But it is definitely a teacher role, almost like a school marm.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, we we talked about series power. And when we first see Yennefer... And she's got some physical deformities. She's got a twisted spine for one thing, and, and there's something with her face that just it, it just seems off, almost as if she had a stroke, and her facial muscles don't seem to be quite what they should be. And she's attacked by a young boy and his girlfriend, and it appears they're gonna rape her when she portals to a strange cave and meets Istrid, who Explains what she's done and that she will come looking for you. And like Siri, this is apparently a power that she didn't know she had. And hello, impulse, because uh, fear apparently activated this ability to teleport.
0: Exactly. I I think what it is referred to later as a conduit moment, which is how they identify potential witches and mages.
1: And, you know, so once she's in this compound, this, this school for mages, we get that scene where she's locked in a room. And again, it's not a dungeon. It's, you know, it's, it's appointed probably better than her room at home. Yeah. (laughs) And we see her look at herself in a mirror. And I wondered at the time whether this is the first time she's seen herself because she smashes the mirror Though, you know, once I thought that, I thought, well, come on there. I mean, couldn't she have seen herself in a stream? But then again, the water's rippling, so she's not going to get a true look. So, so, yeah, it's really a heartbreaking scene when she smashes that mirror because, of course, she sees herself. Maybe the way she kind of instinctively knew everybody else saw her, but just never really made that connection. So to say a DeVries, I really like her. And like I said a minute ago, her continually referring to Yennefer as Piglet starts to get old after about the seventh, eighth, ninth time. But I think as the episode goes on and certainly when we get to the end, you see that there's that connection that it's almost as if she's been testing her all along. I'm just going to be deliberately mean to you to see how you
0: handle it. Right. She's specifically treating her badly because she sees something special in her that she needs to push. Right. In order to make it happen. And in fact, I think she even says to say it does something like people like us have this or that. You know, she almost identifies a bit with Yennefer.
1: Right. And the one thing that she's really focusing on the balance and control without them, chaos will kill you. And I think we've certainly seen this in a lot of shows of this ilk these young people that acquire these powers, it's almost as if they don't understand the gravity of how powerful they really are. And it's not as if they don't believe their Jedi master, but it's almost as if they can't contain themselves. So it's interesting to see all the girls. I think there are six total, maybe Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And it's really fascinating to watch them in that classroom scene where their first task is to lift a stone off their desk. And some are successful. Piglet is not. And of course she's frustrated. And we don't necessarily learn what's the deal with Istrid. Now he's a guy, right?
0: Yeah, he's a mage. It's okay. like Eratusa is for the women. But that doesn't mean there aren't males out there, um the Brotherhood as it were and And the council, there's a bunch of different ways of referring to groups of mages, male and female.
1: Okay. But he's able to answer some questions for her. It's almost as if he, he senses there are some things she needs to find out on her own or from her teacher that I can't tell her. But but he certainly doesn't just leave her out there hanging. And the rest of this episode and most of this interaction occurs in the second episode and the tests, as you might expect, get progressively more difficult. And for Yennefer, and probably all of them, it's about controlling emotions. And this idea that each of these young women hopes to ascend to, you know, I guess whatever level of mage power
0: <laughs> they, they've probably got a label for it. But yeah, uh, ascending, I guess, is just becoming an official. Me rather than being an apprentice. Yeah.
1: Right. And and the question, do you actually have what it takes? And and that certainly becomes the fundamental that that Yennefer has to to understand. And she's worried that she to say knows about us, their relationship. And and of course, they kiss and probably do a little bit more. (laughs) It certainly looks like she's fallen in love with him and, and probably he with her. And shows her the skulls of the elves who built Eratusa and and that's where we get some of our background information thrown at us. And and as you said, the writers expect us to pick some of these things up on our own, which is great. I, I certainly love that. But, you know, it also helps to give us a little bit of backstory so so things make more sense and and certainly characters' actions makes more sense. But She tells him her real father was half elf and died in the Great Cleansing. So is this pig farmer that raised her not really her father?
0: Yes. And even her mother is sort of down on her daughter as well. She kind of blames her for her own deformities because she blames it on her elf blood. That's what caused her to be so deformed. But. I think it's also interesting that they gave us the details with the exiled elves or the the elves in hiding. And here we get more context about how the elves taught humans how to use magic and what was their thanks. Uh, We'll take that power for ourselves. Thank you very much. Right.
1: And, you know, we see again, not that we needed this scene to know about her low self worth. No one could ever love her. And then of course that's when then he kisses her. But then finally, She's kind of not really doing what she's supposed to be doing, and and she's hanging with him. But as it turns out, that was a test in and of itself. And that final meeting with Tissaia, where she finally addresses her as Yennefer, and she passed the test. And we then have that question about the man who seems to be controlling Istrid.
0: And what's up with him? And and does he want something from Yennefer? Well, I, I never did quite get that either, because it turns out that the Stregobor is the one behind all that. The Stregobor from the first episode. And I didn't really make that connection, <laughs> really, what he was up to with his, you know, the women born under the eclipse and all that and how that ties into Yennefer. Wasn't quite sure.
1: Right. And then, of course, uh, we're waiting as the other girls are called to ascend and, and Yennefer takes the flower Travels to the site, and then the other girls are turned into I don't are they eels?
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> okay. Well, because Yennefer says something like, You turned them into slugs. Eels, actually, says Tisseya.
1: <laughs> and then she gives her a broom, then she pushes the eels into the water, and yeah, there seems to be this connection between Tesseya and Yennefer, and uh, they both smile, which is not something we saw from either at any point. But I really like this story arc and not that I don't like the others. I absolutely do, but it's called The Witcher,
0: and he's my third favorite character at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does get better obviously for him. But you're right. It it's kind of a weak start for him when you compare it to the the intros of the other two. And of course the series just gets better and better as time goes by. And we're gonna dive into our spoiler zone here because I do want to talk a little bit about what makes this series so special and these three characters in particular. So let's go ahead and hit that Spoiler Zone button. You are now entering the Spoiler Zone. Okay, now, Dave, I know you probably haven't gotten into the series as far as I have, so I'm not going to spoil too much here in the Spoiler Zone, but I know that a big part of those people who have watched the full series have noticed is that the timelines don't quite match up. And this is one of my favorite things, you know, time travel being one thing. I also like when they kind of mess with your minds as to when different character arcs are happening in history, because there are even hints early on in these first two episodes that you just discussed that these three threads aren't taking place at the same time. And, and one that had to be pointed out to me by a YouTube video is that Queen Calanthe says something to Siri about, you know, I had my first conquest at your age or something like that. And then later, when we're in Geralt's storyline, Renfrey tells him that Calanthe just won her first battle. Oh, in their end of things, so Geralt is actually a good seventy years before Ciri. So the way this all plays out is that Yennefer's storyline is a, perhaps about a century before the happenings of the, the Nilfgaard attack. Geralt is about seventy years back, and this is all guesswork, of course, but just some research I've done. And then series whole plotline throughout all eight episodes is about a week or two, so eventually we catch up because, of course, Yennefer is ageless, as are all mages, and Witchers are ageless. And the only times we get little hints here and there of people aging is, first of all, the most obvious one is Mouse Sack, who we see several times in gray hair and and without the gray. And then there's even a mention, Yennefer says at one point to Yaskier, those crows feet are new. So he's been aging too, since the bard is, you know, just an average human. So I just love that the storylines are shown in parallel with each other. And we're just supposed to pick up on these little hints along the way that things are not in the same timeline. And as a result, we actually get a fairly large view an eagle's eye view of the vast history of this land. Cause you know, any good fantasy series is going to have that map in the front and a history that's alluded to throughout. Right.
1: Sure. Oh yeah. now oh, I I know what I'm doing after we're done recording tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah. See how I carefully couched that so that you can <laughs> figure it out for yourself because that's one of my favorite points of enjoyment is the timelines. And again, that was a point of criticism for some people, but I just eat that stuff up with a spoon. So Um, And then the other thing is thematically the show is so good because they tie in this idea of destiny, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast, not only for the fact that Geralt and Ciri are destined to come together, but also Yennefer gets tied into it. And I'll mention that really quickly because her main theme seems to be about leaving a legacy. She wants a child in the first part of it, but then other people propose other things. Legacies that she might have. So, I want to talk a little bit about the law of surprise, which I really did not understand at first. But as you went along, you realized that this is a wonderful tool to talk about destiny. So destiny is something that Geralt does not believe in. He thinks it's just a bunch of hooey and that humans are tied to it just out of a superstitious kind of view of the world. But of course, he comes to know very much throughout the decades that we see him grow as a witcher and, and grow in fame, not just because of Yaskir's songs, but also just because of his reputation. And this law of surprise is early in his career where the uh, mother and father of Ciri have the law of surprise playing a role in their lives, binding them together because a soldier in the king's army saves the king's life and claims the law of surprise as a reward. So what the law of surprise is is this thing that says, if you save someone's life and they are unable to repay you, they can claim the law of surprise and basically you will receive something that they have but don't know they have. And in the case of the king, it was his daughter who was, you know, Siri's mother. In the case of Geralt, who kind of offhandedly says, eh, I'll just claim the law of surprise just like you did because he saves Ciri's father's life. He claims the law of surprise and Siri's <laughs> mother immediately throws up because she's pregnant with Ciri. So Geralt and Ciri's fates are tied together from that very moment, just from an off-handed comment that Geralt made. But the other part of the destiny comes into place for Yennefer, who in wanting to have this child, they ha- we have this whole episode that comes from a short story about finding a genie in the lake, a genie in a bottle. And Geralt has a couple of wishes to use. And his third wish is end up being used to save Yennefer's life as she tries to harness this genie to restore her fertility and she's going to be killed by it. So we don't hear what he says. We don't know what the wish is either in the TV show or in the books or in the video game. Nowhere do we actually get to hear the words, but we know it has something to do with tying her destiny to his saving her life, but also making her indelibly tied now, not only to Geralt, but by to Siri as well by, by default. So this is just such a great way of tying in destiny. And then, of course, Yen, like I said, her legacy, she thinks, is to have a child, which no mage is allowed to do. But we get a couple pieces of advice that specifically mention legacy. as advice to Yennefer is, how about your legacy can be saving the Northern Kingdoms from these, this raving band of Nilfgaardians? Or Fringilla's advice, the mage from Nifgard says, well, your legacy can be power like mine, you know, join me. It's kind of like the dark side of the force in that sense. And so now I think in season two, Yennefer going to have to make a choice. Is her legacy going to continue to be this very narrow-minded goal of having a child? Is it going to be to save the Northern kingdoms, which is what I think it's going to be? Or is it going to be seeking her own power as Fringilla has done, where all the rules of the mages council are thrown out the window and you can do whatever you want And so we're left with a lot of questions at the end of the series. What did Geralt use as his last wish with the genie? We're not exactly sure. We just know it binds him to Yennefer. And might that be why the very last line of the series is Siri asking Geralt, who is Yennefer? (laughs) In a very curious manner. And then where did Yennefer go after she unleashed fire on the Nilfgaardians? We didn't get to see her. We saw that she unleashed everything she had but then she was gone. So what happened to her and why does the emperor of Nilfgaard want Siri? Why is he coming after her in particular? And what is this, you know, religious crusade that they're on and, and how is everything tied into that? So definitely think there are hints from the books that would give those people who have read the books, some of the answers of where season two might be headed, but I'll tell you what I am hooked and will definitely be back for season two. And I'm always happy when the network announces the renewal ahead of time, like they did with this show.
1: Yeah. So as I said, I know what I'm doing. I'm watching at least two more episodes tonight. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. Highly
0: recommend it. And I hope some of our listening audience has also put aside the critics view of this show and decided for themselves that this is a show worth watching. I certainly enjoyed it. It's not necessarily our normal fare, but I think there's a lot speaking for it, but We're going to have to deal with a little bit of controversy next week, too, as we get into Lost in Space Season 2. Now, last season, we had Mina Sundwall on the podcast. We interviewed her. She plays Penny Robinson on Lost in Space, but we didn't do a show discussion about it. So I'm really excited to be talking in Lost in Space for Season 2 because I do think there's a lot of improvements that were made. But at the same time, it really followed in the success of the first season and kept all the adventure of that initial season intact. And we'll have to talk about the ups and downs of what that entails for the series. Now, have you dived far into this one yet, Dave? Uh,
1: I have seen the first couple episodes and I'm going to hold my commentary until next week. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think we're on the same page with Lost in Space.
0: Yeah. D- very different flavor because, of course, <laughs> The Witcher has very much the adult themes, a lot of uh, nudity and and cursing and violence and blood and all that. Lost in Space, very much a family show, but like I said, not without its bit of critical controversy as well. So that's going to be next week on the podcast, but that's it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US, and we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity.
1: And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics, either through social media or or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for
0: listening and we'll see you next week.